This is a production of the GSD Podcast Network. And from the heart of North America, it's time to answer the burning question, what the hell does Mike Bisson do? This community economic development podcast is part of the GSD Podcast Network. And now, you know him, you love him, you like to live without him, Mike Thyssen. Time for another episode of What the Hell Does Mike Thyssen Do? The community economic development podcast that stays in positive space and really talk about community readiness when there's a knock on the door for growth. Today's a pretty good day um, in the sense that uh, for the first time we're doing a live podcast. Um, and we're doing it at uh, the Westgate Academy in Odin, Indiana, which is uh, middle of nowhere, really. Um, really, if you, if you look at the United States and if you go right in the middle of the country and you find Bloomington, Indiana, and you go about 25, 30 miles southwest of Bloomington, Indiana, you'll find it there. And uh, why is there uh, a hub of innovation and entrepreneurship 25 miles southwest of, in- of Bloomington, Indiana? Well, it has to do with, a, partly has to do with an asset uh, with the U.S. military, known as the uh, Naval War- Warfare Center Crane, where there's a research facility. And uh, more importantly, there's a model that's been happening where uh, if you want to have uh, uh, innovation come out of our cutting-edge technologies with our military, you kind of need an asset outside of, the, of that uh, footprint. So uh, Westgate at Crane was created um, about 10 years ago, and the actual building uh, came about, and the, and the campus came about uh, between 2010 to 2012. So um, along the way, you have a lot of research uh, facilities and research universities that come along the way. And uh, I'm very excited to, to uh, find out that the Purdue Foundry um, from Purdue University has uh, taken residence and has started to uh, really catalyze the place into a real good hub of rural innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, so. With that in mind, the programming has been um, uh, very out, outward, uh, outward uh, going. It's uh, a lot of outreach. Um, there's a lot of events that they do, including uh, some uh, opportunities for uh, idea sharing, co-working. Uh, there's a little bit of maker, maker pieces. There's a lot of defense contractors and a lot of companies that are spun out. Um, so, for instance, every first Tuesday of each month, um, this... Uh, this uh, asset known as the Westgate Academy has uh, rolled out events, including um, a free co-work day. Um, you do uh, some uh, technology demonstrations. Uh, there's uh, uh, shared partnerships with fellow universities. For instance, Indiana University has a good law school. So there's a, a, a Indiana University will do some intellectual property or IP office hours. Um, there's also... Um, uh, other educational uh, opportunities, including a presentation known as News Before Brews, um, because, uh, of course, there's two great things that you do when you collaborate. One is uh, with podcasting. We've, if you heard back in episode one, podcasting um, with Jason Burton is always a collaborative process and always uh, uh, together with that. And uh, another one is uh, microbreweries. Um, so uh, you know where I'm heading with this. So right now I'm live podcasting at what's known as the Spirited Entrepreneur, which, is, which happens every first Tuesday of each month um, right here in uh, uh, Odin, Indiana at the Westgate Academy. 
Um, and uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to bring on someone from the Purdue Foundry to uh, uh, talk a little bit about some of these events, uh, why it exists, and uh, why innovation is important to, to our landscape. So with me is Jason Sahlstrom. He is uh, the, the director of the Purdue uh, Foundry here at Westgate. Um, and I'd like to welcome you to the show. And uh, first off, Jason, I want to uh, sort of get your origin story. How did you come about um, being where you are and, and, and how you landed here at the Foundry, and more importantly, how you landed uh, 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 being able to, to help catalyze this, this region? So personally, how did I get here? Yes. Okay. Well, that's, that, <clears throat> that's a, a, a long story. Uh, you don't have to go long into it. It's just, you know, so, you're, you're, you're qualified to be here because you played in the innovation entrepreneur space before, I assume. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So um, originally, the I, I grew up on the West Coast. The Army brought me back to the East Coast. Uh, I ended up in D.C. being a, as a defense contractor for a number of years. During that time, I launched a startup on the side. Uh, as well as and ended up overseas for a number of years, launched a startup overseas. I was in Tel Aviv for quite a while, part of that ecosystem. Got to know entrepreneurship, advised some companies. Um, while I was abroad, well, my, um, I helped my parents launch a business in Evansville, southwest Indiana, 2003, and um, got to know the region, the economy a little bit that way. And then the, their business was suffering with the recession. So I was still abroad, but my dad asked me, do we, you know, do we keep this business open or not? So I started really looking at the economy in more depth at that point, longer-term trends and that kind of thing, and became concerned about various factors of that, one of being innovation, entrepreneurship, the number of startups we're generating, that kind of thing. Uh, so when my time overseas was done, I decided to come here and see what I could uh, get engaged in that space rather than going back to Washington, D.C., so I started out down at the University of Southern Indiana okay. uh, doing this kind of work. And then when the opportunity here uh, arrived, I'd, I'd worked with the Purdue Foundry a bit in the past, and they knew me, so encouraged me to apply for the position. Um, and uh, then we started here about a year ago. I started Great. almost to the date Great. a year ago. So you've got innovation experience. You've got entrepreneurship innova- uh, experience. Um, which is two of the highest qualities when you come when it comes to trying to get intellectual property, you know, to market. So, um, talk to me about the Purdue Foundry itself and how uh, that plays into the landscape of uh, the Crane Naval Base and uh, generally in entrepreneurship in general. Right. Well, the Foundry was born about five years ago, a little over that, when Mitch Daniels arrived at Purdue University. And on arrival, he discovered or recognized or was made aware of that there was a gap in the innovation economy around West Lafayette, uh, specifically the lack of startup activity. They had a lot of research going on, big industry, that type of thing, but not a lot of startup activity. So he directed the Purdue Research Foundation to solve that problem. So they started looking at best practices around the country and started iterating on designs until they arrived at our four-step process that the Foundry now drives. So that starts with our fire starter program, which is that first six-week program. That's to give an entrepreneur or potential entrepreneur uh, an opportunity to articulate the idea in terms of a business model. It's a fairly light lift, the program is. Um, so somebody can come up with just an idea in their spare time, uh, Test the concept out in a cohort. See if it's a good idea. You know, kind of initial, uh, kind of intellectual exercise, vetting the idea. But we also have uh, established businesses that are already make already revenue generating that take their ideas through the same process. The reason they tend to do it is because their their ideas maybe grew more organically based on demand. They're in an industry. They understood it. 
uh, but they never really built a business model around it. So they'll take their ideas through the process through, and then it goes on through three more phases after that. The next phase, market validation, is where we send them out into the field to really get evidence that they that somebody wants to buy their idea. Right. right. And then then next phase is planning and then execution. That's where we connect them to the the more uh, the substantial. Uh, resources that Purdue really brings to Southern Indiana, that, that extended ecosystem that can connect people to knowledge, to, sure. to, to, to talent, uh, as well as venture capital and other such resources to scale an idea. And, and the, the, I guess the beauty of the design is that it was designed for the, the researchers and students in, at Purdue. Mm-hmm. And which meant they had to accommodate the, the rigors of their schedule, of their demands. So it, it's, a, it's a good, the program, that first six-week program, like I said, it's a light lift. So it allows them, without a lot of burden on their time, to not only assess their idea in terms of its uh, commercial potential, but as well as assess whether they really want to go down that path of entrepreneurship, in which case a, a great idea might get turned, handed off to somebody else, or they might just decide that this is just not for them, or they also might decide that the idea just doesn't have legs. You know, they right. just couldn't find that, that business model to match the idea. Great. So you're at a place in a building called the Westgate Academy, and I'm noticing, I'm actually noticing some kids, some high school kids, some elementary kids, um, all the way up to, you know, uh, older adults that, you know, that have ideas. So you're really taking a holistic approach to the programming and the services that are here. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you can coordinate all that and in, in what, what this building means to everybody in this entire region. Well, you mentioned earlier in your introduction that we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a clear disadvantage when we started this venture here sure. a year ago. So we had to kind of turn that on our head and examine, okay, we may be in the middle of nowhere, but we're also at the center of a region. Right. So we had to start connecting the region, connecting from Terre Haute to New Albany, from Evansville to Bloomington, as well as serving all the aspects of entrepreneurship. So that starts, like you mentioned, we got a STEM program here, which has, brings a thousand, little, several thousand kids through this building every year learning about STEM. That's all, all summer long in camps, then after-school programs all year long. And then we have also have, so we've got that talent development, then we also have the polytechnic engaged here to fill those talent pipelines needed for companies to grow. All right. And Great. The rest of your question, repeat the rest of your question. Oh, I don't know. I forgot. So okay. that's okay, too. <laughs> yeah. So now, but now, it, we're I guess what I'm thinking today. is that, you know, this is such a great asset. Right. Um, and you hit the nail on the head. It, it's not in the middle of nowhere because when you talk about rural, it's getting people's mindsets to not think about them in terms of, okay, which urban center do I gravitate to? What happens if we flip the map right. and make the rural piece the center and then have the urban centers or those around this rural piece, you know, within a 45-minute radius, you know, commute radius, what what assets do you have that gravitates those folks to that, that center? Is that where I'm kind of... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Because Purdue has kind of, you know, planted this flag and, and put this resource, this kind of anchor in, the, in southern Indiana, sure. we're drawing startup activity, you know, entrepreneurs of, of, of all ages down to Westgate because of the unique resources we have here. So we get them from Bloomington. About a third of our clients come from Bloomington, about a third from Evansville, and then about a third from kind of the rural area the in rails, between. Yeah. Right, right, right. So it connects those those more, uh, I guess, uh, population centers uh, from Evansville to Bloomington. So that, that you know, that helps uh, as well as just that, that central asset allows the rural areas to connect as well. Mm-hmm. So, cool, cool. So um, I participated in a 
in one of these events during the day. Um, it was the um, it was actually the news before bruise with Stratasys, which is uh, a 3D printing company, and found some very fascinating information from the medical device. So really, when you're when when you travel all this way to come here and you get um, some incredible information about what the future can hold, that's got to excite you, man. I mean, it's yeah, it's very exciting, and that, and it's and it's really becoming demand driven. So we're going out. We talk to the community. What is it that they either think they what they think they need to hear or what yeah. maybe they don't know that they need to hear sure and so 3d printed added manufacturing that was one of these technologies that you hear about the manufacturing community in southern indiana hears about but they don't really know what the impact is going to be or how how you know where they need to be on the learning curve to incorporate that into their businesses sure. before they fall behind but it also bridges the distance between education which is 3d printing is very much involved in in, in that all the way through manufacturing, medical devices. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, researchers here today from Crane, from Indiana University, from ISU, um, you know, talking about the research that they're doing. Connecting that's, them is a big part of what we do so here. That's so crazy good. you got all these universities playing in the same sandbox. Right. That's, uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's cool. And, um, you know, on a, on a personal note, it's really, I'm just pleased as punch that some uh, Purdue foundry can come here in a period of a year get the academy more into involved in the community because really when you talk about community capacity building and you got site selectors wanting to locate businesses here this is one of those unique things that allows a site selector to go oh wait a minute let's not deselect you just yet because you have something like this because you have collaboration going on so um, congratulations to you and congratulations to Purdue Foundry for for uh, getting this you know really going and I know there's a lot of partnerships out there and I know that you've been working pretty hard at that. So, really, congratulations, Jason. It's been right. a great Thank thing. you, Mike. So, Appreciate the opportunity. Sure. sure. Anything else you want to chat about? You know, what's your favorite well, pet? How you doing? No. Um, how? Well, I do want to mention September 25th. Yes. So if, that is if, our. Technology. I think we'll go to air before that, right? Or? September 25th. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We we can drop before then. All right. That is a technology showcase that we're having here. I believe there's some information on the back of that yes. flyer. And that is going to be, so you mentioned the different universities. So we have tenants here. IU is a tenant in the building. USI is a tenant in the building. Um, so the, the, the Polytechnic, et cetera. So on the 25th, we're bringing in Notre Dame, IU, oh, wow. USI, yeah. Crane, um, possibly ISU, and some others um, to present technology, present what they're working on. Great. And the idea is twofold. One is to connect industry to those technologies, to help industries yeah. either spin out new business models, advance their existing business models, augment their current processes, what have you, as well as connect researchers to each other, connect institutions to each other to cultivate more collaboration between the institutions, between industry and academia, between the academic institutions, as well as between those and uh, the federal researchers at Crane. Wow, that's really cool. So... For my California friends and everybody who who uh, who, who listens, um, that's on uh, se- September 25th. So you might have some you might have to hot foot it out here, or if you want, look them up on uh, Twitter, which is at WG under uh, uh, space Academy or at Purdue Westgate, um, and and you'll be able to get their Twitter uh, handles on that. Um, they're going to present a technology showcase with. Um, the state's Office of Defense Development, and the Indiana Innovation Institute. 
and it'll be a fast-paced event which features 30 researchers from those universities that Jason mentioned. Um, it'd be worthy for folks to come on over and, and check it out, especially those who are nearby in the Midwest. Uh, descend upon this, this place and really, you have to really see it to believe it, folks. It's, it's, uh, it's quite something, uh, it's quite a nice asset. And I know from uh, 10 years ago when I, was, when I was with the state, it was all but, you know, trying to plan this and trying to get this up and going. Um, it's, it's really innovated since uh, from then, and uh, I couldn't be any more pleased. So th thank you again, Jason, for being on the podcast, and, uh, you know, won't be, won't be too bad. So. All right. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Thanks again. for having me. Yep. So while I'm out watching and mingling uh, with uh, a lot of folks, um, Jason brought up some very good points in terms of why universities are here and why um, uh, their innovation, they're innovating here with uh, the naval asset and the companies that are around it. Um, a lot of uh, terms that have been thrown out there, one is intellectual property. And that is um, something that has always been kind of fuzzy to me. So uh, I actually found someone uh, at this event uh, his name is Rick Martin. He's an attorney uh, uh, from Evansville who uh, is an expert at intellectual property and bringing it to market and going through the legal processes. So, Rick, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks. Um, thanks for having me, Michael. You bet. And uh, so to, when, when I say intellectual property to the layman, what does exactly that, what does that, that exactly mean? Generally, it covers uh, four main areas of the law. You've got patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. Okay. Uh, most of which are protected by federal law. Trade secrets are generally a creature of, of state law or local law, uh, but patents, trademarks, copyrights are generally protected primarily by federal laws. Okay, so so really it's anybody who might have an idea that might be unique, they might need to make an effort to uh, make that idea theirs in a legal sense. Is that... Yeah, generally, if you're talking about patents, patents deal with inventions okay. uh, and, 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 and things of that nature. So if you've got something that's novel, that's non-obvious, and it's useful, uh, and, it's, and it can be mechanical, it can be electrical, it can be uh, you know, any number of things, but if it meets certain requirements, and you, know, you, you can patent that. And the, and the patent protection basically lasts for 20 years. Uh, it gives you a virtual, or it gives you a monopoly on your invention for a period of 20 years. All right. So, and then part of that is this, the um, the the development of that product, the uh, the unique footprint of that product is really that intellectual property that was made with that. So along the way, you have somebody that come, might come along and innovate that intellectual right. property. Um, how does how does the legal process work in, in that in terms of you know if you have a new if you have a new product does that have to have a separate line of patenting and I, I guess it doesn't have to have a patent and it's sort of uh, counterintuitive but I get a lot of people think well if I'm going to manufacture this product if I'm going to uh, go forward with this product I need a patent mm -hmm. you don't need a patent necessarily to to uh, go forward with a project or a product. What the patent does is it allows you, it gives you a competitive advantage, like I said, the monopoly. It allows you for the, for the period of 20 years to exclude everyone else from making, using, selling, or offering for sale your patented invention or your you. patented technology. So it, it gives you an edge in the marketplace, if you will, by, by carving that out and giving you a monopoly okay. 
to where, and, and the idea is when you're applying for the protection, get the protection as broad as you can so that somebody can't do just a minor modification sure. to it and get around your patent. Sure. So um, I'm married to a scientist, and so she does a lot of research. And so she has to get that uh, research out and published before she gets what's called scooped. Right. And so getting a patent or getting your, your, your research and your, and your work protected will prevent you from getting scooped in, in, in sort of this kind of space. Would that be kind of a... Yeah. Generally, it does, and, and there are some other, a lot of reasons behind why you should actually apply for the patent before you go public with your invention. Right. A lot of foreign countries, it's, a, it's an absolute bar if you have a public disclosure of your invention before you have an application filed. The U.S. has a one-year grace period, but we're also a first-to-file system now, too. So if you disclose your idea, somebody takes that comes up with something similar or expands upon it and they file before you, mm -hmm. that could preclude you from patenting your own idea. So I, so I generally advise people, you know, before you go out and pitch this at a competition, before mm -hmm. you go out and tell anyone other than somebody that's either bound by an NDA right. or your very close personal friends, uh, get a patent application filed because it's it's going to give it's you the protection. You, really, yeah. and all that. So... Okay. All right. I could see that. So, you have any of these go south on you? What do you mean by go south? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> if, if, if uh, you, you know, somebody comes, you know, with an idea and prior to them getting it trademarked or patented, all of a sudden that person's idea was actually, you know, somebody already took it. And so, I, I mean, don't know it, if there's... I guess it's happened before. And again, I, I typically advise clients, too, when they come in on a patent, at least on, on a patent, well, on a patent or a trademark, we'll normally do, do or at least recommend a search. Sure. Uh, before spending the time and the money to apply for the, for the protection, let's look and see if, if uh, again, if it's a patent, let's look and see if somebody else has invented that before sure. or done something similar to that uh, before you came along. And, again, with a trademark, uh, let's look and see if there are other names out there that are similar that are being used or have been registered with the trademark office. Uh, you know, before we go forward, it's, you know, it, and, and trademarks, you know, again, that's that's a, an interesting side too. That's really something that's applicable to any business, whether you're a, what, I, what people would consider a tech-based business or not. I see. You know, that's your branding. That's your identity. Right. Uh, is what trademarks protect. Uh, your logo, your business name, names right. of your product. Which is different than IP. You know, because IP is more the physical. Well, it, it, it is IP. It, you know, okay. Trademarks are under the, the umbrella of, okay. of intellectual property. Right. Uh, just varies. It, it's, it's different than patents, but like I said, it, right. it applies to any business, whether or not they're, you know, whether they're based on patents or technology or not. You know, every business has a name, every business yeah. has an identity, and, and it's worth protecting. I can tell you, I had a client about a year ago came in and, you know, she had built a business and did a very good job of promoting it and marketing it to where, you know, I think nationwide, you know, SE, she'd gotten herself to where SEO, she yeah. was coming up near the top. Oh, wow, that's great. You know, nationwide. Well, it, it turned out to be great until uh, she got a cease and desist letter from the company that was in the very same line of business. They were in Arizona, really? and they own the federal trademark registration to the same name she was using for her business. So all of that SEO work caught their attention when she got up to that point. And, you know, they had, they had, they had senior rights to the name. And, and, you know, after all of that time and trouble, she had to change her name. So, so it really, 
it, it's worth the time and the money to invest in looking at that before you just jump into sure. to a business and choosing a name. So fortunately, she was still probably allowed to operate or just under a different name or... Yeah, I mean, you know, okay. she had to change the name because right. the name she was using technically was an infringement of their trademark I rights. Okay. So it's good to always check out with, with, a, with a good attorney. To, they're going to yeah. be on your side with that. And, Ab- uh, absolutely, and that's something know. that's, like I said, you know, it, it, it may seem like an expense up front, mm-hmm. but, and it's not that much. It'll save you a lot It'll down the road. It'll save you a lot down the road if, if things like that happen. So, um, yeah, so um, anything else you wanted to add to you know, in terms of IP and what the law might do for you in terms of, uh, you know, getting uh, a product launched to market or? Uh, and I, maybe I can just sort of describe basically the, the other yeah, two areas of IP. You got copyrights. Yes. Copyrights are generally uh, creative works uh, and, you know, your, your books, your music, your art, uh, and, and copyrights are designed to protect that. Uh, logos, for example, I mean, I, I typically advise clients, if you've got a logo, it's protectable by both copyright and trademark. They perform different functions and provide different levels of protection. So it's, it's in my opinion, it's a good idea to protect it with both okay. because, um, you know, sometimes there may be an infringement of one but not the other if there's not infringement of both. Um, and, and the, again, it's a growing area of the law. Software is protectable by copyright. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so there, there, there's, you know, you don't hear about it as much as probably patents. More trademarks, but 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 there's a lot of valuable rights that can be gotten in copyrights. Trade secrets, again, that you know, that's another a creature of state law primarily. Although there are, there are uh, federal laws now that, that do protect trademarks, um, but it protects things like customer lists, yeah. uh, secret formulas, the Coca-Cola formula. You know, every now and then you'll have something that you know, maybe you don't want to patent. You know, the Coca-Cola company hundreds of years ago, had they patented the, the formula, the chemical formula for Coca-Cola, they would now, you know, they would have been able to exclude everyone for 20 years, uh, and then it would have become public domain, and anybody could have copied it, anybody oh, okay. could have used it, anybody could have made it. So there are certain things uh, that are amenable to protection, you know, if you can keep it secret, if you right. can keep it confidential, and, you you know, the law says you have to take certain steps to do that. Uh, if you can do that, Sometimes that that gives you better protection, longer protection than a patent, and it's it's you know sometimes for some companies it's their most valuable asset. Oh no doubt, no doubt. So how long have you been a patent attorney or an attorney? Oh, let's see. In this, in this field of 20, innovation, twenty-four years. Twenty-four, 24 years. years so, yeah. So in your twenty-four years, I imagine that you've um, seen a lot of new innovations come out. Um, yeah. And yeah. I'm imagining that your law firm has also innovated along the way. Oh yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. Because so, what I'm trying to tell everybody is, is, um, you know, innovation is everywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to come from the technology sector. It comes from the business sector. It could come from the art sector. It's just that as long as you keep thinking forward and moving ahead, and looking at basic ideas and seeing if there could be some changes along the way, you're still innovating. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I'm constantly looking for, uh, you know, better, more efficient ways to, you know. Do, do what we do to help protect our clients' sure. interests. Sure. Well, Rick, I want to thank you again for being here. And um, Hold on. we got an announcement up there. Um, I'm sure we're all right with that. Three, two, 
one. Well, Rick, I want to thank you again for stopping by um, and uh, talking to me and maybe talking me off the ledge as far as, you know, intellectual property. Um, uh, I got a better understanding. Um, I'll probably still need to learn along the way. And so glad that you're in this innovation landscape. And oh, great. You're being able to help companies and, and move, move a lot of people forward and help people. Um, so Rick Martin, he's an attorney at law. Um, he's based in Evansville. And do you have a Twitter uh, handle that... You know, I do, but you put me on the spot and off the nope, top nope, of my head, fine. I can't so think of it. What, it's probably at, at IP Solutions Law. Okay. Uh, but if, 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 you know, IP Solutions we'll Law we'll or... we'll on the website if you're okay, and I'll put your website on, on, uh, yeah, absolutely. on the podcast website so that, you know, our friends in California and Japan and all those other folks that download me can absolutely. at least get you there and, and all that. And So anyway, Rick, thank you again. Really great patent attorney. Um, I suggest everyone to go reach out and see what he can do for you. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Okay, and we're back. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Rick uh, said when he left was just how important it is to, you know, at least have uh, an attorney look at your intellectual property or if you have an idea to, um, you know, make sure that your innovation is protected. And I think that brings up some, uh, uh, he brought up some really, really good points. I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because we are um, participating in a nice innovation day here at the Purdue Foundry at Westgate. Um, And I've noticed on uh, a lot of uh, capacity building pieces in communities, um, the idea of um, their struggle for uh, broadband. And the idea of, you know, if you're out here in, at Westgate and you're 25 or 30 miles from the nearest urban center, are you wired up to the point where you need that high-speed um, connectivity? Um, and it also extends out into the rural communities that are out there. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about broadband, and I couldn't think of anyone better than uh, Liz Irwin, who, uh, who is a part of Smithville, uh, which is... Uh, a broadband partner here at uh, Westgate Academy. And so I want to bring you on. Hi, Liz. How are you? It's Hi, good Mike. To see you. Thank you. And uh, just want to sort of talk to me a little bit about your origin story and how you landed at Smithville and, and, and what it is that you, that you do. Well, thanks, Mike. I'm very happy to be here. And so I've been with Smithville for about three years now. Um, prior to that, I Has was... Has it been that long? It's been that oh, long, Oh, my God. Yeah. So, right. Prior to that, I was with the Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, and Smithville is a great partner for the Bloomington Chamber as well. So uh, I had already known about the company and um, the owners through my role with the chamber. Okay. And um, was fortunate enough to land a great position at Smithville. I'm currently their director of external affairs. And so a lot of what that involves is participating in some of the communities where Smithville has a presence. either through economic development groups or chambers of commerce or other uh, maybe statewide or regional economic development groups. All right. Um, that's, that's one part of the job. So it's really about making sure that we're volunteering and giving back in those communities, um, participating, being, being part of the community in any way that we can. Um, it also gives us an opportunity to have some eyes and ears on the um, in those communities to make sure that we understand if there's something new that's happening, uh, maybe a new business is coming to town, and, um, and we know we have fiber in that location, we might be able to provide um, our service to that new company. 
but it also gives us a face in the community. So if there's an existing company um, that has a question about our offerings or they just want to have a conversation with us about maybe changing or upgrading their services or perhaps they have some kind of an issue that they need our help in solving, uh, we can have somebody there to answer those questions. So sure. that's, that's a real advantage for us. Um, and then the other part of my job involves government affairs. So um, primarily at the state level, um, doing lobbying and participating in uh, our industry trade association groups at the state level, a uh, little bit at the federal level too. Of course, we always try to maintain great relationships with our uh, members of Congress, but that's something that primarily we have a few other people that are doing um, for the company. So, um, and, and of course, always making sure that anything that's happening at the local level we're aware of. So that's that's essentially what I do for Smithville. Okay, great. And um, what I've noticed, and you mentioned economic development, um, is that, you know, when economic developers and communities look at their infrastructure now, you know, they talk about the water, the sewer, the wastewater. Um, they're now really seriously talking about broadband and connectivity. And so, um, I, I, I'm, for me, I'm a little, um, I think people get a little confused with the term broadband. And so... Would you be able to educate me a little bit on that term and what is broadband? Is it, is it something physical, like physical fiber, or is it Wi-Fi? Or So broadband actually has to do with a specific speed. I see. Um, and, and that's something that's usually determined at a federal level. Right. So the way it all came about, at least this is the way I understand it, um, I'm still <laughs> learning even after three years a, on the job. We're all lifelong learners here, so this is no absolutely. big deal. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so originally, um, there was, of course, the telephone connectivity that people had. Um, as companies like Smithville began looking at other ways to make connections for their customers, um, we began understanding that internet connectivity was going to be important. And so in the early days, we had, of course, dial-up. Yeah. And then, and that was a, a little bit slower. <laughs> You've and got then, mail. <laughs> DSL, yes. You, so you remember. Yes. Uh, and then... Along came DSL, and that, that added some speed. Um, but those, those were services being provided over copper infrastructure. And many of us today still have a lot of services that are over the copper infrastructure. Um, and some of those, I mean, honestly, there's, we have a lot of customers um, on fiber. Most of our customers are on fiber. But we do, do still have a few of our more rural, uh, remote customers um, that don't have fiber all the way to their homes. In many cases, we've continued to build fiber to the cabinet and have those projects which increase the speed, but it's very expensive to try to transform all those customers to a fiber service. So, um, but even, even some of our customers that are on copper are able to have speeds that are high enough. Um, for instance, if they have the 10, one connection, um, 10 megabits for download and one megabit for upload, that's the speed. All right. Now Um, I'm getting to understand why they're, yeah. So there's, but they're still able to, um, stream one device at those speeds. At a 25.3 rate, um, many of them are able to, to stream over multiple devices. Wow. So we do think fiber is, of course, the highest standard, um, but we also recognize that it's going to take a long time to get everybody to that yes. level. So, it's a great um, segue because um, they're the, the uh, former CEO of Kimball International, a gentleman by the name of Jim Tin, his version of innovation is, he says this quite plain, 
that nobody can really be truly innovative. A community can't be truly innovative until every single house, every single domicile that a, that a person might live in, no matter how remote, must have connectivity, the inter internet connectivity. And so, I mean, do you buy into that or is that? <laughs> so, I do think it's very important uh -huh. and we're becoming more and more dependent on that. Um, and we see a lot of technology, um, even when you're looking at telemedicine and other opportunities, oh, yeah, when you I think about, about senior citizens, uh, sometimes maybe they're housebound. If they have access to telemedicine options, uh -huh. then that, that cuts down on travel time, cuts down on the expense of um, delivery for whatever kinds of medical advice they might need. Uh, I think there's some real opportunities there. Uh, the one thing that I would say is um, a lot of times you end up in situations where people don't want connectivity. Yeah. So I think that those of us who okay. really want it forget that there, there is a smaller segment of the population that wants to remain disconnected. Sure. Um, perhaps they've chosen a rural lifestyle because they don't, they don't want well, the hustle yeah, so and bustle. Yeah, so they don't want to be bothered with you know, the, the news and, yeah. Okay, but I I, what I would say is that I think that it's important for everybody to have the opportunity to choose or not choose whether okay. or not they want to be connected. And I, I do think that we're making a lot of progress. But as you know, it's an expensive endeavor. And so, um, you know, I, I should probably mention briefly that um, one of the reasons that I got here at 4.30 instead of 3.30 today <laughs> was that I was in Martinsville for um, Lieutenant or for Governor Holcomb's next level agenda. This is in Indiana. Yeah. This is in Indiana. Uh -huh. Yes, Governor Holcomb's next level agenda announcement was mm -hmm. today in Martinsville. Right. Um, and he talked about a couple of different things that he's going to be working on for 2019. One of those things is uh, the state is going to be putting a hundred million dollars into a broadband grant program. And so that's pretty exciting. We don't know the details of that yet, right. but today was the first time they made that announcement. And they've come up with a unique way to fund it. You talk about innovation. Um, he commented about uh, former Governor Daniels' uh, use of the funds from the toll roads right. to be able to, to build new highway infrastructure. Exactly. And, okay, yeah. Uh, well, so now this current administration, the Holcomb administration, has renegotiated a contract with the toll road companies. Um, and as part of that, there's going to be some money given to the state. And that is the money that he's going to be using to put not only towards the broadband program, but it's also a way that he sees to accelerate the I-69 project another one that you know is near and dear oh, to my yes, heart. yes, it is. And um, also a trails program okay. for communities. So there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of excitement in the room today as Good. he unveiled that agenda. And so we're, we're hoping that companies like Smithville and other telecommunications providers can work with the state agencies and, and sure. provide advice and feedback as they begin to develop well, this All those companies program. kind of work together and kind of a let's, let's build capacity where we need the capacity. You know, we do work so, together yeah, a lot, actually, and of course, um, we have a couple state trade associations that we, we work closely with, mm -hmm. and that's where all the industry folks try to come together and um, work on issues that maybe we need to sure. have a little more involvement sure. in. Well, that's really exciting news. This really is. So. Yeah. It's crazy good. It's crazy good. So, I mean, we're, we're in the past 10 years, I've seen a lot of activity 
in the innovation space. I mean, there have been a lot of launches, a lot of new startups, a lot of ideas that have been refreshed as new. Um, and really, in terms of the technology and innovation with broadband, that's no different, right? So about 10 years ago, we still had maybe DSL, but now we have lots of really crazy good things. And then talk to me a little bit about Wi-Fi and what... You know, where does Wi-Fi fit into all this? Do you even need now physical cable? And yes. Okay. So that is one of the big myths, I think, that, yes. that a let's, lot of let's people don't right understand. Let's myth bust right here on this podcast. Uh, so we all have our cell phones, and we use them constantly. If you're like yeah. me, anytime there's even a slight question, we pull out the cell phone, and, yes. and we don't even think about the connectivity. I'm even scanning my cell phone for other questions for you, so. <laughs> well, I'll... So here at the Westgate Academy, of course, this facility is powered by our fiber, um, and we can talk a little bit more about Smithville's role in um, getting Westgate up and running with the fiber. But uh, all of that data that you're using on your phone is needs to be pushed out to the internet in some way or another, and that's all done through a fiber backbone. So. I see. Fiber infrastructure is going to remain an important part. I think it's going to be great to see what sorts of other innovative concepts we come up with and what kind of technology we can use. Um, I mean, there's a lot. That, there's the 5G wireless, and we hear of other initiatives that some companies are trying to roll out where they, they feel that um, they could perhaps use uh, some of the electric wires to be able to transmit signals. Um, there's a lot of innovation for sure, but at at the heart of it all, we, we believe in our industry that fiber will continue to remain a very important integral part to any okay. kind of network structure. All right. So where do you see the landscape in five years after this announcement from the governor? Where, where do you see... Um, where do you see... Do you see all of the state being uh, wired up or...? Well, I... I I'll be interested to see. Uh, I think one of the things that is a, is a huge challenge for the industry... Um, obviously, the money will help a great deal, but it is so expensive. Yeah. Um, $100 million is going to go a ways, but I think when, when you consider that um, building fiber costs between forty dollars and $60,000 a mile, yeah. that's a mile. And if you think about, say, uh, a stretch of highway that's in a remote area where maybe there's three or four people along a five-mile stretch of road that perhaps also have very long driveways... Well, it's difficult because you realize that the customer is not going to be able to pay the amount of money it would cost to get to them right. at, at even $40,000 right. a so mile. It's all about critical mass, right? It is. You know, you wouldn't be in business unless you had critical mass. And that's a, that's a model that should not be, you know, chastised against. It's just that's the reality. Is that kind of where... That's correct. Yeah. yeah, and I think... So I think... Once you add some other geographical challenges to the mix, it becomes even harder to do. Um, we, we know that if we are boring, for example, if we're burying our fiber and we have to bore through rock, that's going to increase the price sometimes as much as six times. Um, and it, it takes yeah. more time as well. Um, we have an issue sometimes with uh, how long it takes for us to get permits to cross railroads. Okay. Um, that can add a lot of money, but it can also add sometimes maybe even up to a year um, on top wow. of the time that it would take to execute a project. Um, so I think 
we'll learn as we go on some of these things in terms of um, what the technology presents uh -huh. and how we're able to use this funding and whether or not is this going to be a $100 million one-time infusion or is there another source of funding that's going to continue to be able to, to help grow this grant program? And then, of course, we're always hopeful that we'll see some federal dollars allocated, sure. um, and there have been, actually. Yeah. There have been um, some recent announcements that USDA, for instance, is going to be having um, additional oh, funding. Oh, yes, I've heard about that. So, again, you know, we're not sure of the details on all of these, but, um, but I think what's important is that, that lawmakers are recognizing that we need to do something, and I think they understand that money is what's going to help make it happen. Sure. So I hope we well, can all work and together. And more to the point, my economic development listeners are really paying attention to this and making sure that they're part of at least monitoring this so that when the opportunity does come, that they're ready. Yes. You know, whether they need to get a plan in place or some kind of a mechanism in place to where once when that opens, that they're ready to go, um, especially with the nationwide piece, because there's plenty of rural out here to, yes. to, to do. Uh, well, what, what we hear from other providers in, in other states is that they all face the same challenges. Um, we're not unique in Indiana. There's a lot of rural in a lot of parts of the country. Even, even in areas that are close to the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, you go out in some of the rural parts of Virginia or Maryland, and it's surprising how much countryside there really is. Yep. So it's a big country. There's a, there's a lot of people, and yeah. it's going to take a while. But certainly um, it's encouraging to see some of these steps in the right direction. Terrific. And I, I will just say, uh, at Smithville, we we were really happy to be able to work with our state legislators as they tried to develop the broadband grant program. So um, we're appreciative of those efforts, and we think we'll see more in 2019. So we're, we're looking forward to uh, oh, that's great. Indiana General Assembly session. That's great. Well, and, and uh, that's, a, that's a good, happy note, you know, for, for, uh, for that. I, I, for one, am optimistic that we can get those who want it to get hooked up and have be able to understand this is an investment for the kids it in is our, an in our future and our company so it would um, be very difficult for them to yep. continue to excel when they can't have the connectivity that they need sure. to even be able to do basic homework yeah no doubt no doubt well liz i want to thank you again thank for you, being on the podcast um my guest here was liz Irwin. she's the director of external affairs with uh with smith smithville communications um, and they're based in Bloomington, Indiana. So. We're actually in Ellettsville. Although Ellettsville. We do, forgive we me. Do. Forgive me, Ellettsville. Oh, my goodness. I, no, please. Ellettsville Town Council, please don't uh, stop listening to me. All right? I'm, I love you guys. Well, we, we like to say we serve a lot of parts of Monroe County, yes. so, of which Bloomington go. is a part. Yes. Thank yep. you, Michael. Love Ellettsville. It's good stuff. So thank you again, Liz, for being on the show. That was Liz Irwin from Smithville. Well, that uh, pretty much comes to the close to the end of our time. And uh, again, I wanted to um, reiterate uh, that innovation is everywhere. And I'm high on innovation. I think I'm going to cut that short a little bit. Just that when you when you go out and you see something from 20 years ago and you see how much it's evolved um, 20 years now, um, that's innovation uh, when you look at it. 
Um, perhaps you're hearing the sound quality of my podcast being a little better. That's because we just upgraded, uh, the producers upgraded their microphones. So we're, we're experimenting with that. As long as people keep experimenting and not being afraid to try, not being afraid to fail, you can innovate no matter what the subject matter is um, on that part. Um, I will have links to everybody uh, on the website for uh, uh, the resources. Um, I want to thank again uh, Dr. Jason Salstrom. Uh, he is the director of the Purdue Foundry at Westgate, um, who uh, was my first guest. My second guest was Rick Martin, an attorney from Evansville, Indiana, who specializes in uh, intellectual property law um, and trademark law. A very good resource for folks to uh, reach out to. Again, we'll have contact information there. Um, Liz Irwin from Smithville Communications, uh, based in Ellettsville, Indiana, um, who uh, uh, really has, takes a good holistic approach to uh, connectivity. Um, with that, I hope everybody learned something there. Um, I also want to thank uh, Bill Stein. He made a very special trip up here to help produce uh, this episode. Um, my other producer, Amy Moore. Um, also, Stephanie for the bumper. Uh, part of the great GSD podcast network. This is Mike Thyssen signing off for now. Thank you, and keep on innovating. And now we know what the hell Mike Thyssen does. Jason Burton. Jason Burton, you're my hero.